You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the sound of my supplication. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand, Lord? But there's forgiveness with you, so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than those who watch for the morning, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all her iniquities. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for your people. And we pray that you will connect your word and your people today. God, we pray that it will not simply come in things that I say, with words, with syllables, with punctuation, but with power, with full conviction, and with your Holy Spirit. This is our prayer, through Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, as one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, welcome to First. It is so good to welcome you live in Albuquerque, wherever you're watching us or joining us. We are here, gathered for worship, right here on 10,101 Montgomery Boulevard. So we're glad that you're here. In high school, I had a good friend named John. And John and I did a lot of things together. We were uh, a part of a, a, a chorus with a bunch of other friends. Teens from all over the Denver area would get together. And we had a number of scams. Well, I guess I should say intelligent ventures. And, and one of those is whenever we would go on tour, kind of like our teens are on a trip to CIY, we had two big charter buses. So we would make a trip down to Pace to the local wholesalers and buy candy and pops. And we would bring them on the tour buses and sell them to our friends. Add a little bit of a markup. Now, now still less than the grocery store convenience stores, but we were more convenient. We were there for the people who were on the bus. Well, I, I remember one, one thing about John is that we both grew up in Colorado, but he grew up in the same house. His parents were cool. I mean, I was a preacher's kid, so all bets are off there. But his parents drove brand new sports cars, fast cars. And I remember one night when John and some other friends were spending the night at our house, and we just got to talking about things that kids that are trying to be bad but really are good talk about, things like God. Because we couldn't quite make sense of why John was not a Christian. Now, when I say not a Christian, I mean he hadn't publicly made that confession, hadn't identified Jesus as Lord, hadn't been immersed in the waters of baptism. And if you look at his life, I mean, he was a follower of Jesus. He'd been there his entire life. And so we were, we were just asking about this. 
And his answer, I won't ever forget, was, I'm just not good enough. I'm still a sinner. I still sin. And I'm trying to get my life to a certain place where God will be ready to receive me. Just didn't have it all together. Can you relate? Feeling imperfect, feeling like you're still a sinner and you don't have it all together. Psalm 130. Psalm 130 is is in a little small collection of psalms called the Songs of Ascent. So out of the 150 published psalms in Scripture, there are these 15 psalms from Psalm 120 all the way to Psalm 134 that are identified with this designation of Psalms of Ascent. They were songs that were sung on the way up to Jerusalem. As people made their journey for festival, whether it was for a day or for a week, they were excited, and they would sing songs together. That's kind of like their playlist, these 15 songs. Now, it's a lot different from our playlist today, where we might be traveling up, and we'd be in individual cars with our own playlist. And if we're totally honest, right, individualized playlists inside of that car, zones for music or AirPods where we're disconnected from one another. Well, that's not what this was about. For them, these songs were sung with strangers, in caravan, with family and friends, and there was excitement in the air because they got the chance to sleep outside, to eat outside, to cook and enjoy fellowship outside, and they made their journey singing these songs. Now I know, this one that I read, it says it's a song of ascent, but it can't be. It's not a song of ascent. Did you hear the first line? Out of the depths, O Lord, I cry to you. That doesn't sound like a song of joy, a song of ascent. That sounds like a song of depression, a song of descent. How did it get mixed up? Is it maybe miscategorized? Is it put in the wrong place? Should we kind of correct the order and say, no, it it actually should be descent and not ascent? What is going on with this song? Well, I mean, I want to correct her and say, well, you know, we're supposed to be lifting our eyes up. We're lifting our voices up, our hearts up, all these blessings up to God, and this is kind of dragging us down. She, this psalmist, I say she because she's so full of wisdom, it has to be a she, talks about life that's quite real. She kind of unleashes on us in this song of a lament, and she provides for us some very strong theological points, insights, things that help us, because her cries out to God are not Typical complaints. They're not arrows or cheap shots at God. She's bringing something deep here. Because she just kind of stops in the procession and sits down in the dirt. Not going any further. The tears from her life turning the dust around her into mud. And she sits crying out. Definitely things echoing up. Up off the walls of the canyons upward to God, but cries that are real. But they're not typical. 
I mean, if I'm in the dust, if I'm in the dirt, if I'm in my own tears of depression, that's usually a pretty good time to, to blame God or attack God or to go after God. Or maybe even to question God about the sins that I'm struggling with. She knows something specific about where she's at, in the dirt, in the mud of her own tears. She knows that it's not about personal morality. She knows it's not about her sin. If the problem were her sin, or my sin, or your sin, we're out of luck. I mean, if that really were the problem, we're sunk. It's not going to happen. If this game of life, God is most concerned about your sin and my sin and her sin, then that's a game I don't even want to play. That's a sorry game where we're bound and destined to lose. It takes away all joy from this hike. But she gives us something that's of great insight. Look at Psalm 130. Look down in verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there's forgiveness with you. She points out that if God were really concerned about sin, if he was a bookkeeper, if he was counting and tracking and logging, we would all be stuck. But, that huge but, but because you are a God of forgiveness, we're able to revere you. We're able to worship you. She points us to a deep truth down here in the valley. That the whole reason we could worship God is not because of our sin as the problem, but because of what God does through forgiveness. This is why we revere and worship God. It's the basis. And the problem is, is not our mistakes and not our sin but our relationship that's been severed with God, how we've been separated from God. You know, I think back to my friend John. Remember I was telling you, he, he could not come to God because he didn't feel like he had his life together. And I, I really like where he's coming from on that. He is acknowledging that he's a sinful person. He's taking seriously his own mistakes. He's owning up to that. And maybe even believing that God's about change in us. But it's dead wrong. Because if we let even our sins, the thought of them, separate us from God, that misses the point entirely. God's not concerned with our sins. He can step beyond them. He can step past them and does and reaches towards us. I know a lot of us might be familiar with religions even Christianity that thrives on scare tactics and fear, threats. If you don't do this, you don't do that. And those work. When you scare people, you can get them to do things. I don't care if it's inside a religion or outside of religion. You scare people enough and they'll do things. But eventually, we grow out of that. Maybe as kids, the scare tactics work, but then we have to have a different motivation, a different reason. And this woman, this woman gives us that. As she sits in the depths of her life, she articulates some brilliant things about sin and forgiveness. And she cries out quite honestly about her pain. 
When I see this woman, and I know that she has to be a woman, she's someone who has lived through difficulties, lived through her own weakness. I don't know what has her there. I don't know what has brought her to that pit here in the Songs of Ascent. Is it maybe the child who died who's not with her on this trip? Is it maybe the spouse who's so wayward, who does not love her as she deserves, who loves almost anything and everything but her? Is it the open and unended and never-ending promises that don't come true from our family? Expectations, unfulfilled promises, maybe even from bosses, from employers, maybe those are the things that have her deep in this place, but that's the place that gets her wisdom. It's through her pain, her suffering, her difficulties, the mistakes that she's made, maybe even the errors that she's had to suffer the consequences from others. Have you been there before? Where it's not your own mistakes, it's somebody else's mistakes that are affecting you in drastic ways. Well, still, she's here making a scene. I mean, we're trying to get to Jerusalem. We're trying to worship God here. And, and maybe some of us are looking around and saying, okay, well, let's get going. The time for grieving that is over. Let, let's get on. Let's move on. Quit your screaming. Quit crying out. You're smack dab in the middle of our procession. Let's move on. Let's go to God. Well, I think we learned something from her, from where she's at. If we're going to ascend to the highest places with God, we have to do so from some of the life's lowest places. We have to recognize the starting place where we're really at. And that's what I want us to learn from her today. Because she's got three things that I think are worth paying attention to. Three things from this lowest elevation that I think help us to know how to ascend. And the first one is that she's very honest. She's honest with God about what's going on. She's not going to smooth over the difficulties of this life. She knows that sometimes life is rotten, that leaders don't come through like we want, that governments don't look out for the little person, that big business sometimes has stacked the economy to where those who most need help are at the bottom and they're without a shot. The economy just builds up against them. So she's honest. She's honest to be able to not sugarcoat her words. Well, the second thing that she does, did you notice these words are addressed to whom? To God. She voices her complaint directly to God. Now, I do a lot of complaining when things don't go my way. Sometimes I'm complaining to an individual. Sometimes I'm on a customer service line. Sometimes I'm speaking to some other official or their office trying to get my voice heard. And, and those things are important, right? We've got we've to do our part to th set things straight, right? We have to do that. But she, in her wisdom, goes beyond that and goes directly to God, to voice this to God, to let God know exactly what's going on. And God listens. So, so far, she is voicing up honest things about this life. She's 
addressing them to God. And then look in verse 5 and 6. What words get repeated over and over again? What word pops out from verses 5 and 6? Do you see anything? Any words? Wait. Wait. Watch. She waits upon God. Now this is really important. That might seem, oh, I know that. I understand that. I should wait on God. But she waits and watches for God. Here in the valley, as she set up her watch post, it really seems like the wrong place to set up a watch post, right? If you want to set up a watch post, let's do it up on a mountain, maybe? Uh, up on the wall of a fortress, on the edge of a cliff. If you set up a watch post down in the valley, it's going to be a long time before light gets there. It seems like it should be set up higher, but no. That's where she's located. That's the life that she's living right now. She doesn't have to put on a happy face that everything's going to be just fine. She speaks to God right where she's located. The task is the same whether you're on a mountaintop or in the valley. You wait and you watch. And you watch for daylight. Sometimes watching for enemies that are coming, watching for an answer, watching for God to show up. And it's repeated twice, like those who watch for the morning. If you've ever had to spend the night up, maybe you're in the military and you've had to be on watch. Maybe you've done one of those strange things of staying up with the dead. That's an ancient thing, where people would stay up late with the dead. You could watch your clock, but you really want the sun to just break you out of the darkness. You want light to shine all over you. And this woman here in the valley, is watching and waiting for God. Now, she is not waiting or watching for an answer. She is not waiting or watching for the answer to her questions. She knows in that valley, the answer will probably not be satisfactory, right? If we're honest with her in the mud, we can cry out to God, but God is not going to be able to bring back that dead child. God's not going to be able to resuscitate some marriages, right? We know that sometimes we don't get the answer or even an answer that we want, right? I want you to be clear, she's not waiting for the answer or even any answer at all. You know, when you feel alienated from your family, when you feel separated from them, you know that sometimes those bridges cannot be built and constructed quickly. And it's in those moments that sometimes we just get upset with God. God, if you just get it together. I'm down here in this place. Things are not going as I would want them to go. And we think we've got God kind of in this logical blind that if God were a good God, he would not have allowed this death. If God were a good God, he wouldn't allow me to keep making the same mistake over and over again. If God were God, he would show up. But that's not the complaint that she makes. This isn't her moment to blame God or to attack God. She lifts up her voice and says, God, I want you. She screams out to God. Because an encyclopedia answer 
a scriptural answer, a theological answer, a philosophical answer won't suffice for her. What she needs and who she waits for is God and God alone. Look in verse 7 and 8. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him there is great power to redeem. It's he who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. So she looks around at the people that are trying to get her up, and she speaks this word of faith. Our hope is in Yahweh. Our hope is in God. He's the answer. He's the one that can provide the steadfast love that we need, that will surround us. He is the one that can come to our protection and our rescue and our aid. God is who we are searching for. Time in the pit, while we can kick God, we can run away from God, it won't stop God from being present with us right there in the midst of the pit. The psalm of ascent doesn't seem like a psalm of ascent, but you know this woman's not alone. If you look at other songs of ascent, there are other honest people like her that are willing to scream out and to voice their mistakes to voice their need for God to show up. And she's not alone. There are others that do that with her. And what I value from her, what I take away, is her honest reflection of what life is bringing her. And her ability to honestly relate that to God. And then to wait. To sit back and let God show up. Begging God for an ear, for an answer. For God to provide the grace that we thrive upon. Because he's not focused on our sin. Who would serve a God that's obsessed with sin? This is a God who forgives. Who wipes away sin. Grace is present in the Old Testament as much as it is in the New Testament. And a lot of times, whatever time we live in, we construct these prisons of our lives. Prisons of our anger of our hatred, of our blame, and we don't rely upon the presence of God. If you find yourself in the valley, set up a watchtower. Know that sometimes in the valley it takes a long time for the light to get there, for the light to reach the basement because you're down in the caverns, but that light will come. You have to thrive upon the fact that God forgives, that God is going to bring us light in life. Now, there's a challenge in this text. There's a challenge in this message that, that may even go beyond what she says. If we serve this kind of a God, a lot of times we offload this forgiveness stuff to God. Where, yes, we want to receive God's forgiveness. We'll accept that. We want God to, to take away our sins. But, if we really believe that's the kind of God God is, then we need to behave in the same way. We need to behave as we believe God is. And that means we have to think about those that we might need to forgive in our own life. Right? To be able to be as aware as this woman is about forgiveness. I don't know who it is. Maybe you need to forgive those constant strangers on the Albuquerque roads, those nuts that run you off, slam on their brakes, whatever, they're off to the races. Maybe it's an enemy that really wanted to take you down. 
that was ready to sue you, destroy your reputation. Maybe it's a family member that has never, never connected with you. You always are like polar opposites, setting one another off. Who, who is it for you that you need to show this kind of forgiveness? Because while we're in the pit, while we wait for God to show up, our action is to behave like God behaves, to offer that forgiveness to others, to offer what God has given to us. Well, we may not feel like we're good enough, like my friend John. It wasn't long after our conversation with several of us that night where he realized, you know, it's not about my sin. If I let my sin keep me from God, then I'm missing out on the relationship that God wants. That's good. Because we need honest times where we can have conversations with one another and honest conversations with God so that we can wait upon the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God, where God will show up to act and to forgive. Let's pray. God, we thank you for time spent in the mud of, of Psalms like Psalm 130. And we thank you that you are with us in the midst of these psalms. That we are not just alone, but other people voice honest frustrations about life. And yet, we confess this is a psalm of ascent. That where we are is not where we will be. That we are climbing. Coming close to you. And we know that you hear. That you hear the echoes of our cries. So, Father, give voice to them this week as we reach out to you to be as honest as we can. We are waiting for you to show up. Help us to offer the forgiveness that you have given to us, to others, and may we be your people so that when others see us, they believe that you exist and they believe that you made this world and they're delighted that you have placed us all in it. Father, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.